Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shares for beginners. I've been trying to teach my 11-year-old son about investing. Now, he is attention span for the amazingly interesting stuff that i have to say about corporate actions is pretty limited but when it comes to you know talking about the companies that he uses for example i created a portfolio saying hey you use an apple ipad you uh, use minecraft which is actually owned by microsoft so let's create a portfolio of all these companies you can do that for yourself as an investor look around you look at all the products and subscriptions that you have just create a dummy portfolio and see how that portfolio performs over time. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. How do you track your portfolio? Do you use Excel, Google Sheets or accounting software? Or do you hand over a shoebox full of ASX trade notes to the accountant? Joining me today is Prashant Mohan, Chief Marketing Officer of ShareSight. G'day Prashant. Hi Phil. <laughs> Thanks for coming here. <laughs> and we've just been enjoying our flat whites as well, our oat flat whites. <laughs> Phil makes the best oat flat whites in the city. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much for that. So let's just start out. You work at ShareSite, okay, which um, as many people will know is a portfolio tracking tool, but um, you don't come from a finance background. You're a marketing person, you know. So how long have you been at ShareSite? And what did you start to learn about investing by coming to ShareSite? I've been at ShareSite since May 2018, so just over four years now. And coming to ShareSite, the amount of learning that I had to do for investing um, has been a tremendous learning journey. Mm. I've learned a lot of good things. In a sense, I'd say the first biggest learning that I learned at ShareSite or kind of relearned at ShareSite that every investor should know about is just the power of compounding. I think at its basic essence, that's the fundamental truth, which is you know attributed to Albert Einstein calling it the eighth wonder of the world. And why I say that is just how a tool such as ShareSite is able to present your actual total annualized return. Mm. And what that means is if you did earn similar returns year after year, it's very difficult to visualize compounding. And when you do that and when the effects of compounding come into play, then it it becomes a a big sum. And that's the first most important lesson out of ShareSide. The second thing is the importance of tracking dividends and income in general. You know, every portfolio has two components to it, or actually a few different components. So uh, the fundamental unit is capital growth. That's what everybody thinks they're investing for. So you put in a certain amount of money and that asset then grows over time and becomes much bigger than what you initially invested for. But in doing so, it also starts giving you some income at regular intervals. 
And in share market terms, those are dividends. If you're a property investor, that's your rental income, for example. And the importance of dividend tracking is very high just because, particularly in the Australian stock markets, we have the tradition of paying dividends. Yeah, we love we love dividends here in Australia, we much love, more than other countries, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic because you are then taking the returns that a company is giving to shareholders and actually monetizing it at regular intervals of time. Now, when you fast forward to your retirement age, that becomes extremely important because it generates that income stream that you rely on. But even at a much younger age, even for beginner investors, it's really important because you learn that you generate a passive stream of income. And that is a tremendous thing to happen to any youngster that there's this asset that you've invested in and it's generating income. It's not proportional to the effort you put in for a change. And the third component is really around currency fluctuations. And this is particularly true when it comes to overseas investments. Which is so much easier to access these days. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there are so many brokerages that provide you access to overseas investing, as well as so many ETF providers that have made, that have made it so easy to access these markets. So even though you are technically investing in these ETFs in Australian dollars, the internal mechanics of how that ETF works has all of these uh, concepts built into them. Yeah, moving parts that will adjust for this is one of the factors, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, so I think these, I would say, are uh, the three sides of the return side of information. There's another really interesting concept when it comes to investing that every beginner investor and everyone should know is the risk side of investing. Uh, now, when I say risk, it's not about fear. Uh, when I say risk is something that you can mitigate and there are things that you can look at in, in your portfolio. So, for example, uh, a measure of risk is diversification. To take the, the layman's term of don't put all your eggs in one basket. When you diversify, the idea that if something goes down, something else is going to pick up and vice versa when the cycles change is a really important concept. You know, if you think of your own life as a, a, and where you invest your time, you don't want to be doing hyper-focused on just one thing. You do want to have a varied uh, sets of interests, and that's how you become an interesting person. So it's exactly the same concept when it comes to investing as well, that you have a, a bunch of investments that give you that diversity of return and income uh, should one of them fail. Uh, and that's, an, that's a really important concept that I've learned again. I just wanted to take a break here just to mention I was at the pub last night with some mates and um, this friend of mine, and he was talking about he's retiring now in his mid to late 50s. And it's basically because he's had this concentra quite a concentrated portfolio of shares. And for years, he's just been reinvesting the dividends. He hasn't been taking anything out of it. And it has been a bit painful at times because he's had to pay the tax on this, but um, preserving the reinvestment as well. And he's at a stage now where, like I said, 
late 50s, and I'd commend younger listeners to take this in mind, that it comes around really quickly <laughs> and that this compounding is so important, isn't it? Absolutely. And and you, you raise a really important point with regards to concentration. And, you know, when you make these decisions, investing decisions, it seems like things are always on the up or it's a no-brainer investment. But, you know, we've been through a few economic cycles when these things made complete sense at a given point in time. I guess like even as recently as last year, if you spoke to any of the crypto investors, you would think that that's the way, you know, digital... You make money. Yeah, diamond hands. We've yeah, all got diamond hands. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go buy a digital JPEG and mm-hmm. that's going to generate some enormous amounts of money through NFTs and things like that. And of course, media plays a huge role in this. You can get caught up in all the dramas of the day. But uh, like you said, it's really important to zoom out and look at history, look at how things have been going on, like something that seems absolutely obvious. And, you know, there are cycles of bubbles and bursts, and hopefully you never get caught in one of these cycles of bursts. But that's the whole point of, you know, being prepared and thinking for the long term and thinking for the long term. Yeah, I blame traditional finance industry as well, to a certain extent, because they've made it so complex and so complicated that suddenly when an easy solution presents itself that's then hyped up in social media and the traditional media as well it seems like oh you know we can get one up on wall street <laughs> so to speak absolutely and and i think like uh, traditional finance is you know where the investment has always been mm. sold mm. you know traditionally financial investments have always been sold there's a middle person that's you know has some set of incentives to make the sale to you and the story they come with to the people who are less informed they've been able to get away with you know selling really dodgy investments mm. uh, but now that that cycle's changed you know for now people are buying into things buying not only into financial instruments but also into the stories of the founders stories of the companies and you know with you know even more recently uh, with ESG coming becoming more and more mainstream people want to know where their money is going and what kind of things are are we actually funding uh, actually on that on that front I'd again take a little bit of a detour go for it yep go down another rabbit hole <laughs> Don't go on a, go, I love going into rabbit holes and you know I've been thinking about this a lot like you know one of the questions that's been touted around is who can make a bigger difference to the environment? Is it users or consumers or investors? And again, taking a lesson from history, if you look at the world, yes, sure, there were always markets to be conquered so that you could sell your products into those markets. but And, and exploit those markets. And exploit those, those markets. As sources of um, new goods or... Cheaper ways of producing them. Producing them. But a bigger story that's not very well recognized is actually the power of investors. And, you know, uh, being a history buff, I just went through this uh, recent book called The Anarchy by a guy called William Dalrymple and got to do a lot with the... Very famous historical Very famous history writer. Yeah. And this story was about the British East India Company. Mm, mm-hmm. At the root of it, 
colonialism was investments looking for returns mm. and you know there was a ship that needed investing that ship was you know they they got together a bunch of capital holders and those capital holders needed a return and that's the incentive with which mm. everything started mm. um so if you know that's a negative example of what happened with capital and investing the same thing can be used for positive change so i think uh, yeah these these stories are enormously powerful and with empowerment of everyday investors it's becoming so much more easier to tell these stories and and that's why i, I applaud you for uh, making this podcast oh, and thanks, uh, you're, thanks you're empowering <laughs> investors and thanks for being such an early supporter of the podcast as well from very the very early days Yeah no I think it's a really important uh, role in society that you play. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. you were kind of referring to the businesses and that the implication was that the businesses are actual businesses that you are investing in and one of my guests was saying that he doesn't refer to companies by their ticker code he refers them to them by their full name so that you do keep it in your mind that you're talking about an actual living breathing business that you've invested in you're a part owner in and all of the staff and management are working on your behalf Yeah that's a that's a brilliant way to look at it actually um because that's actually what you are and this comes from the the philosophies of Warren Buffett and mm. Charlie Munger mm. you know they've always said maintain that you are part owners of business and that's the only way you can get a long term view on what is it that your money is doing not only for yourself but also for the rest of the world uh when it comes to this whole idea of stakeholder capitalism mm. yes money is important but if i were to make money using a tobacco investment as the primary or guns mm mm-hmm. yeah sure guns do sell um you know they it's it's a crazy weird world but do i want to be supporting that with mm. my money so that's the important question that you can always ask and that's why because it's part of having your own investing style as well and realizing that you do want to you know you can invest in so many sectors so many areas that you can make it nuanced in terms of what your own belief systems are absolutely yeah and uh, and that's the uh, I, i like that idea that you refer to it as with the full company name and not with the ticker code mm. because when you're using ticker code you're probably displaying more of a trader behavior mm. it's just uh you know looking at some of those candlestick charts that that are there not nothing wrong with that that's needed very much needed but also that it's not just a arbitrage opportunity f- to make more money but it's also when it comes to long term investing you are actually bought into the story but in the process also you make money you referred previously in the introduction to annualized return 
And that's really important, isn't it? It's a really important feature of ShareSight to understand how you can benchmark your own returns against, say, the ASX 200 or whatever you're benchmarking against. I just wanted to explore that in terms of, I mean, if you look at funds and ETFs, they're showing you one-year return, six-month return, 10-year return. How does that interact with an annualized return as shown by ShareSight? So there's two ways in which you can you can look at returns. So one is called time-weighted and the other is money-weighted. What we show in ShareSight is actually money-weighted. What you see typically in an online broker portfolio is, is time-weighted. So for example, you bought something for 100 bucks five years ago and today that's 150 bucks. Well, you look at the little green symbol next to it and say, okay, that's gone up. Tomorrow, your brother-in-law in the barbecue is going to say, oh, he made like 2000% return on some crypto that no one's ever heard of. And that is how investing stories and trader stories get talked about. Mm. The same way in which media talks about headlines as well. So that's just a headline number. Yep. It means nothing to you personally because the concept of time or the dimension of time is completely missing from it. And this is where the annualized return concept comes in really handy. There's another uh, rule called the rule of 72, which in compound interest terms, again, for some reasons, that's also attributed to Albert Einstein. Maybe he did or maybe he did not. But the idea is whatever is your annualized return, take that in the denominator and 72 divided by that number. So for example, if your annualized return is 10%, approximately 72 divided by 10, which is 7.2 years, is how much that investment will take to double in value. Okay, yep. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a real world example? Just give us some numbers, put put that in context of numbers. Yeah, so so, so say for example, a more common example is uh, somebody buys an investment property Mm. And an investment property was worth 500K. And in seven years time, that's become a million bucks. Mm. And we're talking pure capital growth here. Yep. Now, the return from a pure annualized is, is roughly about 7%. Yep. So if in 10 years it's doubled, that's a 7% annualized return. Mm. Now, what's missing is the fact that you've also put in a lot of cost into this. And so all of those costs eat into your return. And so the actual number is a bit lower than that. Mm. So coming back to your question on what's the importance of that annualized return, it's not only important to look backwards, but also to look forwards and see, if I continue on the same trajectory, I'm going to achieve certain goals and certain milestones with regards to my own portfolio. And that's where it becomes a really useful tool. And then we can further break down the annualized return into components like capital growth and dividend growth and Mm. and currency fluctuations and so on. Yep. And because um, the the cost basis, just going into the complications of it, if you're doing a dividend reinvestment plan, for example, your cost basis is going to be affected by every one of those dividends, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. And this is another area where ShareSite does an amazing job of keeping track of your cost basis. So what happens is every time a dividend is declared, so say every six months, you have the option of either taking the cash out or reinvesting that dividend in the form of dividend reinvestment plans. 
in both cases, irrespective of what your decision is, you've got to pay taxes. So let's park that for a second. Mm. But coming back to the dividend reinvestment plan, at each six-month cycle, you've got a certain cost basis on which that particular uh, stock has been bought. So literally what what you're doing is you're buying the stock at, at, at a new price for that dividend value. Mm. And over time, you have whole parcels of shares that all have different cost bases. They've all been bought at different times that in the market. All... Some are higher, some are lower. Yeah, Exactly. Mm. Now, I actually have a dividend reinvestment with one of my first investments, uh, which is uh, a very famous Australian listed investment company called AFI or AFIC. Mm-hmm. I've opted in for dividend reinvestment. Originally, I bought 300 shares uh, in, or 300 units of this listed investment company. And over time, you know, I've been accumulating small little, you know, four shares, five shares every six months. And that totals now come to about 380, I think. Mm. My broker actually shows that I have 380 shares, but attributes the cost at which I bought the original 300 shares. That's right. They don't um, adjust for that at all. There's no way of any brokerage ever shows that, do they? No, they yeah. don't. And they, don't, they actually don't know it. Mm. That's the because it's bypassed the brokerage exactly the broker. There's nothing. That's nothing to do with the broker. That's nothing to do with the broker. Yeah, but because it's registered with your HIN number, it still shows up in your brokerage, mm. and then it adjusts the green or the red value against which you are evaluated. In that case, is just today's price, the price when you bought it, and times the number of shares you hold, mm. and so that's like really basic information or even potentially incorrect information because it's not the complete picture. Mm. So the way we like to call it within our share side parlance is kind of a GPS with one half of the picture missing or even like your side view and rear view mirrors one half missing completely. And that's where all of the dividend reinvestment plans get tracked to a pretty high degree of accuracy from a cost basis and you talk to an accountant when you do your taxes that's literally music to their ears because just being able to track this is enormous number of hours of work which you have solved for yourself you're going to pay less accounting bill and the accountant is doing more value-added stuff for you and lic in this day of etfs why did you go down the lic Route. I mean, what was it about that that uh, attracted to you? And I, I just wanted to preface this by saying that next year, I think, is the 100th anniversary of LICs in this country. <laughs> wow. Yep, no, I, did not, I did not know that. Mm. LIC uh, and particularly AFIC. So that's a bit of a rabbit hole on how I got into investing in the first place. Mm. I would actually break down my investing journey into, to use a test cricket parlance, two innings. <laughs> My first innings was in India and mm-hmm. back in like late 90s, early 2000s. On the Nifty 50? On, uh, in, on tech stocks. Mm-hmm. And this is what we did. Like I worked for a tech company and my tunnel vision said that is all that existed in the world. I work for one. Everything is really awesome. And so that's the world of investing. So I bought into a number of tech stocks which, you know, only a couple of years later went to complete bust. And so 
when investing kind of reduced in importance for me and and it sort of like stayed in more of a background thing then when i moved to australia and you know got through the whole motions of settling down and things like that and when i was ready to invest one of the first investing related blogs that i came across was that of the barefoot investor and the barefoot investor always used to recommend afi or afic as a really important means of generating income for the long term and, and that, that that's the days before etfs as well so that's, that, right. that's why they were uh, exactly been, taking the role of an etf they were they were etf kind of structure exactly they were doing the role of an etf now again to zoom out and look at lic's it's also the fact that they're more actively managed and i think one of the best known lic's globally is berkshire hathaway mm. uh, it's not called that in in the us but yeah it's it, a particularly it, australian it, sort of an english pr- english i think name as well isn't it i think so i, yeah. I might even Maybe. just be australian yeah so this particular lic which is afi or afic came with glowing tributes and reviews from the barefoot investor and when i looked at their annual reports and the companies they were investing in it gave me a high degree of exposure to pretty solid blue chip companies within the asx mainly uh, and also had a little bit of diversification so if you see the overlap between an lic like afic and etfs there's a high degree of overlap the only advantage i might say an an lic might have is when it comes to more downturns they are probably more active in managing that portfolio and drive towards safety whereas an etf relies pretty much passively for the index reflecting, index to reflecting, uh, the, index reflecting the index to work yeah. itself out and i believe they keep cash reserves as well to keep on paying dividends for considerable periods of time through market downturns absolutely so they that's the other part because they're more actively managed uh, they have the luxury of doing that the other component particularly for people closer to retirement is the amount of frank dividends that LICs pay. Yeah, because they can pass on the franking. Although ETFs can do that as well, can't they? ETFs can do that, but they pr- potentially generate products that have a higher degree of franking credits. Yep, yep, that's right. And, you know, who doesn't like some good income that's coming at a at a nice little discount? And of course, the other thing with LICs is as opposed to an ETF and say an ASX 200 ETF is going to have the 200 top stocks in the ASX but you know why do you need to own all four banks five banks if you include Macquarie or you know there's going to be still a couple of dogs in there as well that are not worth owning and an actively managed LIC will hopefully <laughs> take out all of the dross yeah absolutely and i think that is the advantage of that and i think it does have a higher concentration of say the ASX 20 and potentially a few other really good performers from within the ASX 200 as well. And how about now how's your investing I mean without giving away too much details and personal information but um what what's your investing style looking like now? Yeah, I would say very much on the value investing side I'm a long- individual shares and stocks. Uh, a few. Mm-hmm. Uh I do have a few individual uh stocks. again on the back of some research and mm. also 
Uh, I, I have caught on a couple of trends as well. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm completely immune to it. But uh, I would say in terms of my core and satellite, a majority of the core would be ETFs and, and supplemented by a satellite of few individual stocks. Okay, well, we've gone down a couple of rabbit holes, Prashant, but um, the, the original reason we were going to call about this is because of a blog post that I saw you write about corporate actions and, of course, share site tracking corporate actions. So what are corporate actions and why do they need to be tracked and can they be troublesome in tracking? Great question, Phil. And yes, uh, I love corporate actions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a finance nerd now. <laughs> Absolutely. So corporate action is any event that's initiated by a publicly listed company that brings an actual change to equity or debt. Um, and, and in the case of other instruments, debt, but in the case of stocks, it's, it's primarily equities. And basically examples of corporate action. So the way a corporate action works is the board of directors of a company approve a certain action to be taken and therefore results in something significant with regards to shareholding of the company. Examples of corporate actions, the most simple one that happens very regularly are dividends. Dividends are paid out quarterly or half yearly other examples which happen less frequently are things like stock splits, other things like demergers or spin-offs. M&A is another really important one. Mergers, so and, mergers and acquisitions. acquisitions yeah. uh, companies might decide to uh, amalgamate due to whatever reason. The or buyback, buybacks. Buybacks well. is another yeah. uh, really... Share buybacks, yeah. Share buybacks are another set of corporate actions. So, uh, so overall, this is basically a change in the number of shares on issue? Is it they basically all boil down to that at some in some fashion? You, you could say that. And each of them have their own little nuance. Mm. So we, we could go through each of them and, and why it's important for individual shareholders to actually track them. And in terms of like your other question on why is it difficult and, and what are the implications of not being able to track these corporate actions, I'd like to give an example from the financial advice world where I think last year Westpac was in trouble because a lot of people using one of the RAP platforms were not informed or like the financial advisors could not inform their actual clients of corporate actions. Now, when you are able to inform your clients or customers about certain corporate actions, they can then make informed decisions about investing in that particular stock. So for example, if you have a, a, a stock split as an example, the company's stock has split, that does not change the overall equity of the company at all, the, or the market cap. It's just that suddenly now the stocks have been made more affordable or at, at a smaller... So the, the face value of each, um, sh of each share is, say, halved in value. If and, it's a, and and if Apple, Apple's a great example Apple's, of this. They've just been doing stock split after stock split for years, haven't they? Whereas Berkshire Hathaway haven't done it, so that's why their stocks are worth, I don't know, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Exactly. And uh, I think like just last week or the week before last... Google split its shares mm. uh, uh, 1 to 10. 
mm. the stocks were going at about 1500 to 2000 range mm. uh, and now they've dropped down to the 150 mark like at the moment so why would a company do this so nothing's changed so for example as an individual investor if i had one share of google i now own 10 shares worth 10th of a value but worth 10th of a value yeah yeah and and the reason a company would do this is just to signal to the market that there's, there's a lot more growth there's potentially uh, certain mental barriers involved in this it's it's much more of a human psychology thing where they don't want a stock worth more than 1000 bucks or 2000 bucks and then it becomes really hard uh, and and therefore to make it more affordable to more investors the stock value drops and that you are compensated with that many more number of shares in the company so that you can kind of take that dip down and then start over again and let the runway carry the flight that way in a, a reason why a stock split is really important to track as an individual investor again comes back to adjusting the cost basis so if i bought shares in a certain company so like say a google as an example let's assume that i was lucky enough to get them at a really cheap rate back in the day when it was just 100 bucks and then that ran up to uh, 1500 bucks uh, over time it went up into the 2000s but then now it's kind of pulled back in the whole tech pullback as a whole and it's the cost basis that needs to be tracked very accurately should you actually decide to sell at a later date and this is the reason why Uh, a portfolio tracker like ShareSite will help you track that cost basis and we automate all of this completely and you'll you'll be able to uh, see the cost basis and therefore get the true return of that information another corporate action that happens every now and then is a bonus share uh, sometimes the company is really happy with their performance and they want to reward uh investors with uh, with an additional share and they can't think of any better way to spend the money to make more money <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. um so that's another example shareholders are given a bonus share again it's really important to adjust the cost basis it's not that you got that for free they like they say there's nothing called free lunch it's it's again uh, an example of where that share acquires or inherits half the cost uh, if it's a one is to two bonus when it comes to uh, accounting purposes and capital gains purposes so again in your true return information uh, that plays an important role okay so if listeners want to find out more about sharesite we've talked about some of the benefits here as well and um, we will mention my promo code or my affiliate marketing link which i just want to in full disclosure you you'll get 4 months free by using my affiliate link and um I will get paid a commission but that's just one of the ways I run the podcast but I'm I'm only talking about products that I believe in like ShareSite so tell us a bit more yeah absolutely so the easiest way is we're completely online so sharesite.com is our website like you say if you uh, go to Phil's uh, specific URL which I'm sure he'll link in the show notes <laughs> oh, I'll tell you now it's sharesite.com/sharesforbeginners and you'll get that additional 4 months free uh, on Phil's link and the way it works is we are a freemium product so up to 10 shares is completely free uh, up to 10 holdings so it can be shares ETFs 
anything you want yeah, to track. Yeah, you can track. just try it out and see if it works for you. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, for beginner investors and for anyone, getting yourself familiar with investing in a risk-free manner, you know, you can even use ShareSight as an educational tool and put in some um, investments. A dummy, a dummy portfolio. A, a dummy portfolio. Yeah. So, for example, I've been trying to teach my 11-year-old son about investing. Now, he is attention span for the amazingly interesting stuff that I have to say about corporate actions is pretty limited. But when it comes to, you know, talking about the companies that he uses, for example, you know, so for example, I created a portfolio saying, hey, you use an Apple iPad, you uh, use Minecraft, which is actually owned by Microsoft. Mm. So let's create a portfolio of all these companies that... Disney, you got Disney channel. We've got Disney, mm-hmm. we've got uh, Nintendo, uh, the only one that's not listed from among his favorite companies is Lego. <laughs> uh, that's still a private company. Mm. But pretty much all other products that he uses, when it comes to education, you know, he uses Mathletics, which is owned by 3PL. So it's a, just a whole portfolio of things. So you can do that for yourself as an investor. Look around you, look at all the products and subscriptions that you have. Just create a dummy portfolio and see how that portfolio performs over time. You know, you can you can put in a dummy portfolio that began, say, two years ago or five years ago, whatever have you, and and see how you can get yourself to understand the mechanics of the stock market and particularly of your own portfolio investing and the decisions that you that you make. And that's a really good way to learn uh, about the share markets in general. Just watching it, just watching what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's like uh, it's like the game before you know the 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 real thing. Prashad Bahan, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Phil. I've had an absolute blast talking to you this time. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.